All right, it's so good to be here. I, I do want to thank Pastor Roland again for the invitation, and uh, he's been such a good friend over the years. I think of uh, your pastor, and I think steady and consistent are words that describe him, and I'm so grateful. And I counted a privilege to be here behind this pulpit. As I said this morning, preaching to you, I counted a profound honor to be here. If you would take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Second Peter, Second Peter, I want to kind of lay out tonight where we're going. Tonight is really an introduction message to the series that we'll be going through this week, if the Lord allows us. Monday through Friday, we'll be preaching, uh, I'll be preaching messages on this subject. But I want to walk through this chapter with you, and then um, what I'd like to do is take a really quick study through a text in this chapter. We're not going to get into great detail uh, you could, and I, as a matter of fact, I'd encourage you, if you're not doing anything right now in your devotions, this would be a great chapter for you to delve into a little bit deeper, but we're not doing that. We're going to take more of a bird's eye view. We're going to kind of fly over it, if we could say that. And then at the end of the message tonight, I'm going to come back around and land on one particular phrase, and then that phrase, partakers of the divine nature, that's going to be our theme for this week. But I want to just bring this before you tonight as kind of an introduction message and help lay where we're going this week. So I, I trust that you've been praying and I appreciate your prayers uh, for me and as God, the God would give direction for the week and I believe he has. But let's ask him for his help now and we'll get into the text. Father in heaven, thank you again for the privilege it is to preach your word and also to preach your word here at this church. Thank you for the, the good services you allowed our church to have back home today. I pray that we'll uh, continue to see fruit from that. Father, we look now and turn our attention to the service before us here, and we realize and confess our need of you. We cannot do anything without you, so we ask for your help. And Father, I ask for Christ's sake, for this church's sake, for your glory's sake, will you please enable me to preach tonight in a way that's effective and nourishing for this dear flock. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. This is the third time he said through. Uh, there, are, there are many things that we need to get things through. Through the Lord, through God, through his word. Verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, so not, uh, not aside from this, so it's that plus these things. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things, what are these things? It refers right back to what we just read. If these things be in you and abound, now, I know that we live, in the crooked, uh, we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, but that's nothing new. The believers 2,000 years ago did too, amen? Yeah. But what they did then, we do now. We hold forth the word of life. And so, for believers, there's no excuse, if I could say it that way. We don't have an excuse to say, well, you know, we live in a corrupt, liberal, immoral environment. Well, the Bible says here that these things can be in us and abound Abound. That means that what's in you has a greater effect. Why is that? Well, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so the idea here is an abounding believer. They make that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two things quickly. This is sort of, uh, there's an implication here that the reader wants to be fruitful. Like the reader of Peter's letter, doesn't want to be barren and does not want to be unfruitful. I hope that's your desire, amen? That we want to be fruitful for the Lord Jesus Christ in our our lives and in our work. But notice it says fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now why would it matter that we be fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because who are we called to be like? 
We're called to be like our Lord. Matter of fact, God did not predict that you would be like his son. He predestinated that you'd be conformed to his son, conformed to the image of his son. And so when we think about this, it starts to make sense. Well, we're to have the spirit of Christ, then we're to have the mind of Christ, so that we can do the work of Christ. And so you want to know what Jesus is like because you're called to be like him. Amen? I mean, it'd be hard to be like the Lord if we didn't have any information about what the Lord is like. So there's a a desire here to be fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a contrast in verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence. This phrase means make every effort. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never uh, fail. Now, what things? Well, it refers back to the same these things early in the text. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we desire to abound. We desire to be fruitful. All right? So let's look quickly at this text tonight. And by quickly, I don't really mean quickly. I'm sorry. That just came out. All right? Our church gave me a gift recently. It's a t-shirt that says, in closing, dot, dot, dot. In closing, dot, dot, dot. And then a third, in closing, dot, dot, dot. So anyway, if that gives you any idea of what you're in for, but... Anyway, no, if you listen fast, I'll talk fast, all right? Back in verse 1, Peter says this. He's a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To them that have obtained like precious faith. Now, if that's you, you can be amening in your heart. Say, well, I have that precious faith. But notice what Peter says. He says, you've obtained like precious faith with us. Amen? Well, he's an apostle, right? He's a Christian. He's serving in his capacity but, beloved, there, are, there is no such thing as second-class Christians. You have the like, you have the precious faith, like Peter, like precious faith. With us, he says, there's no such thing as second-class Christians. Now, you may not have the same rewards as other believers, but that has to do with your faithfulness and your obedience. But you do have the same faith. You have the same salvation, and we praise the Lord for that. He says that it's through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ... This is important because there's no way we have a relationship with God without Jesus Christ. But I want to bring this out. When he says through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, that was not just good theology. That was dangerous when Peter wrote that. You have to understand, when Peter wrote this, people got killed for believing there were gods besides Caesar or the emperor. And just if I understand history correctly, within just a few years of this letter being written, there'll be a, a man born, and he'll be raised and trained by the Apostle John, Polycarp, and he's killed because he would not call an emperor God. So when Peter writes this, this is dangerous, not just to write, but for the readers to have. And I think it's important for us to remember that because we live in a, a, a country that's free. We're able to worship God freely. But not all believers these days are. We ought to remember them and pray for them. But we also got to put it in context that when these readers read that, Peter wasn't writing good theology, although it is good theology, but it was dangerous. Like if you think about we are very blessed when we think of our, our heritage and what, what people went through. So, and, so he writes this, we, we have like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Let me just quickly say that your Bible is more than an evangelism tool. Your Bible is something more to break out and show your kids why you discipline them the way you, that you do. Your Bible is a source of nutrition, spiritual nutrition, uh, uh, spiritual nourishment. And it's used so that you can get strength in your spiritual life. And so he desires grace and peace be multiplied. How do you get the knowledge of God? Well, it's, we have the, the word of God. And then verse 3, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So you have divine power in verse 3. Look at verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the what? Divine nature. So... You understand, we are not talking this week about polished up human qualities. This isn't where we sanctify our personalities. 
Like, a, a work ethic is a good thing. Amen? You should have a good work. But listen, there are lost people that have good work ethics. It's nice to be kind and give people cards, but Hallmark is not a Christian company. There's just people in life, they just know that it's nice to say thank you, it's nice to be kind. So understand this week, we're talking about a divine nature that we are privileged to be partakers of. This is more than just a cleaned up uh, uh, human qualities. And there's a divine power behind that. There's a divine power at work in a believer producing the fruit that we're going to see. Now, we may go through this and you say, well, I don't have this fruit, but I'm a Christian. And I say with love in my heart, based on what the Bible says, John said that God's seed, his seed remains in us. His seed remains in the believer. Why does that matter? Well, if you plant an orange seed, stay with me. This gets really deep. If you plant an orange seed, what do you suppose is going to grow? Okay, it's not as hard as you're making it. I want you to know that. This is really not a trick question, all right? I've lived in North Dakota for five years now. I'm an expert at farming, okay? No, I'm just kidding. But let me, let me help you. You're going to get an orange tree, right? You're going to get oranges. If, let me give one more to make sure you got it. If you plant apple seeds, are you going to get oranges? Of course not. You're going to get apples, because it's in its nature to produce that fruit. That, that vine that's growing, that branch that's attached to the vine. Jesus is the vine, and you are the branches. He says that about us. We're the branches. You ever heard of fruit of the branch before? Me either. I have heard fruit of the vine, though. But the blessing is the fruit of the vine is hanging on the branches. Do you see how privileged we are? That we have an opportunity in our lives to produce fruit that can only come through a divine nature. Amen. The branch in the vine, abiding in the vine, and drawing in that, from that vine into its life. This is what a believer has. And so if this person says, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't have that, that would be like looking at an apple tree and saying, well, it's really an orange tree. Well, no, it, it, it reveals its, uh, its nature by its fruit. So this is a really big deal, but it's also a great privilege that we as believers are part, think about this, we are partakers of the divine nature. Wow. Wow. So, again, not just polished up human qualities, this is divine. Biblical Christianity, understand this, is not an interruption to a believer's life. It is the believer's life. When you're doing anything, whether it's work, recreation, vacation, including the Lord in your vacation, including the Lord in your, in your work, in your job, it's not God spoiling anything. By, by including him, you are showing him that, or, and, and showing others around you that this is who I am. No matter where I go, I'm a believer. No matter where I go, I'm a Christian. Your faith, your promises your relationship with the Lord, your responsibilities, all have a, 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 an outflow of this divine nature. And so uh, we'll come back to that at the end of the message, all right? So let's, look, let's go to verse 5. He says, and beside this. So the reason I brought that out earlier, and I said it's not aside from this, because it's not like we're changing the subject. He's continuing on with what he thought. So you keep in your heart and your mind the divine power and the divine nature, and then he's saying let's continue with that thought, and let's look at what we add to our, our lives. And I want you to understand as we go through these, when it says giving all diligence, again, that's make every effort. It says add. This word add just means to furnish or supply. And it's, it's, a, it's an action that you are supposed to do. Now, God's at work in your heart already, and praise the Lord for that. By His Spirit, through His Word, He's at work in your life. But there are things that you can do as well. And remember this, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning we, we, we don't earn things by our works, but we do show things by our works. And so God is not opposed to your effort. And so there's things that we add. There's things that we do. Beside, beside this, verse 5, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and of knowledge temperance. And we'll go through that uh, one by one. But I want you to understand how, before we go into this that this is not a linear formula. 
like, like you would um, driving a car, you'd follow steps. Go down Chestnut Street, make a right on this, and then make a left here. That's not what this is. This is more of like a recipe where you have individual things, but what, what is the, what is the uh, point there? You put them all together. And when you put them all together, you get something that's much better than each individual one by itself. I love cake. I know that may be a shock to you. You said, I had you pegged as a salad guy. But no, no, I like cake. Anyway, um, but what, what, I, what I don't like is a cup of, of flour served to me. Who would, who would want that? All right, or, or raw eggs. Don't answer that, Corey. Uh, you know, I don't know what other, the shakes and all that stuff. But no, what, what is the point there? The point is that you take these things, you put them all together, and it produces something, right? That's what the idea here is. You're adding to your faith virtue, and then you, take, you add knowledge, and then you add this. And the same God who in Romans 8, 28 can take all things and work them together for good, that's, that's what we're talking about here. So God will work all these things together for good. So let's look quickly. What do we add to our faith? Well, the first thing we add is virtue. Now, this word means moral excellence. It's, it speaks of excellence. But here it's speaking of a, a moral excellence. In verse 3, it is the fruit of what God has called us to. Look at the end of verse 3. Through the knowledge of him that have called us to glory and what? Virtue. This is a desire God has for you, not just as an individual, but as a church corporately, that you would have a testimony of moral excellence. Uh, 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 an outstanding testimony. If you would go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to show you, uh, 1 Peter chapter I want to show you this word again, how it's translated here. 1 Peter chapter 2, look with me at verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That word, those two words, the praises, that's the same word we have in 2 Peter chapter 1. The praises, the moral excellence, the excellence of somebody. Now, why is it important that we have this? Because you're going to live in a culture where there are outside pressures and there are inside indulgences that you're going to have to have some strength to fight against. The culture in our world isn't really promoting moral excellence. And maybe your flesh, it, your desires, doesn't want to promote moral excellence. But you have responsibly as a believer, as you continually yield to the Spirit and are nourished from the Word of God, to produce that, a moral excellence. And then what do you add to that? You add to virtue, you add knowledge. Now this idea is perception, and this word is used many times in Scripture. It's found often in the book of the Proverbs, but... For our purposes tonight, and I believe in context of what Peter is saying to the believers, it's not just a knowledge. You, you can learn things anywhere. You can, you can get knowledge from anywhere. This is knowledge to do what is right. This is knowledge to know what is right. Charles Spurgeon said, for a believer to have discernment is important. But a believer's use of discernment isn't just to know the difference between good and bad or right and wrong. It's the necessity of knowing the difference between right and almost right. So you're, you're going to need, as a believer, to know what is right. You're going to need to know what is true. And Peter says you have to add knowledge. You uh, understand already, Peter said, that we have, a, uh, we have these precious promises. We have all things for life and godliness. We, we read that earlier in the text. So it's good to have it all, right? How many of you ever uh, put, uh, bought furniture from Ikea? Yes? Okay. You already know where I'm going. Brother Zerillo was just shocked at something. Okay. Well, Mrs. Zerillo raised her hand and he looked like, what? We did? I don't know. And I have known. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a good week. I can, I can do brilliant. So, so. But Ikea is that for the furniture that you buy it, but then what do you have to do? You have to assemble it, right? And so you have all the pieces, but they give you a booklet that tells you what to do with all the pieces. I know it's a simple illustration, but that's your Bible. Because you have to put life together. But you have to put life together in a way that's pleasing to God. We, we all know we've been there. Personal experience. I didn't always put life together the way I was supposed to. 
by God's grace and his goodness, I'm able to now, by, not just by salvation, but by the instructions of the, of the word of God. But you need to know how to put life together. You need to know not just to have all the pieces, but what to do with all of the pieces. So this knowledge is important, this knowledge to know what is right. In Proverbs 29, verse 18, the Bible says that where there is no vision, the people perish. As a matter of fact, turn there. I want to show you this uh, because there's an interesting contrast. Proverbs 29, verse 18. Proverbs 29, and go with me to verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but, so there's a contrast now, he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So there's a distinction here. Now this word vision, it means revelation. It's, it's used as oracle, right? The oracles of God. What is that? It's the knowledge of God. It's God giving man knowledge. And so this isn't talking about like having a vision in your dream. And if you don't have one of those, you're going to... No, it's talking about where there's no direction. Of course, we know that God's word gives direction. And the reason we know that is because the verse says, in contrasting to no vision, you have God's law. There is no vision that people perish, but he that keepeth the what? The law. And this is often a synonym for the word of God. Precepts, principles, commandments, the law. So I believe that it's not a stretch for you to add to your life the knowledge of God. You have in your lap the key. In verse number 2, it talks about the knowledge of God. In verse number 3, the knowledge of Him. In verse number 8, the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go to chapter 3 in verse 18. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. His ending statement, moved by the Holy Spirit to these believers, but grow in grace and in what? The knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. There is a theme in 2 Peter. He wants believers to grow, right? We're going to see that in the end of the message. But He also wants believers to know things. Listen, Christians are not uh, you know, these people who just believe whatever we're told and we just go along our way. No, we, we understand some things. Now, we've chosen that, that we're going to believe God. We're going to believe His Word. Everybody believes something, but we, we believe God, we believe His Word. But God is not afraid of you studying more. He commends the Bereans. Why? They search the Scriptures to see whether these things are really so. This is the same God who says, come now, let us reason together. I want you to think about this. God wants you to use your, your mind, engage your mind. There's, and, and so as you study, as you read, you want to add knowledge. But I believe in context and, in, and based on the principles of Scripture, that the, the, the surest way for you to add to your life knowledge is the Word of God. Get the Word of God in you. And then what do you do after that? You add to your knowledge temperance. Temperance, I know you're well taught. We don't need to spend a whole lot of time here. Temperance just means self-control. It's mastering passions and pressures. Passions from within you and pressures from outside. And I want to tell you the importance of temperance in a believer's life. Temperance is something that affects every single area of a believer's life. Every area. It affects your thinking. It affects your behavior. It affects your emotions. Proverbs 25, verse 28. If you take your Bible, turn there. and We'll see how important... Temperance is, self-control. Proverbs 25. And look with me, please, at verse 28. Proverbs 25. And we'll look at the proverb found in the 28th verse. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. He that hath no rule over his own spirit, no self-control. You know what the, the, the Word of God says to us? You are susceptible to defeat. If you can't control yourself. You're like a city. What was the purpose of walls? For protection. And not, I mean, we need those in life. And so temperance is so important. Self-control is so important in the believer's life. So you add to knowledge temperance. And then you add to temperance patience. Patience is endurance. And while temperance may have to do with the, 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 the uh, 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 like passions and things like that. Patience has to deal with the problems of life. And and, and the difficulties of life. You, you're familiar with this. Uh, a farmer does not plant seed. That's not his primary goal. Right? He plants crops. Amen? Like he wants corn, so he plants corn. And then what does he do? He, he waits. What does he do? He waits. Right? No farmer in his right mind would be upset that the day after he planted seed, there's nothing growing. 
Well, it's the same thing in the believer's life. And I want to encourage you, especially you younger converts, you believers that are maybe not as you're young in the faith, there's people around you that are much older in the faith, don't get discouraged because you say, boy, I'm not like they are. They've had, they have a lot of years with the Lord. You just be patient. You allow the Lord to work in your heart, work in your life. These things will come. Everything that God compares you to, you're born again, you're a newborn babe, you desire the sincere milk of the word, you're not ever ready for the meat, no, you're a, a tree planted by the water, a vine, all of these things, all of them take growth. That's not, a, that's not an accident, all right? So just allow the Lord to work in your heart, you're in a good church, which is a, by the way, that's needed for good growth, amen? A, a rich soil, a good environment, Right, So allow, allow the, the folks around you to help you with that. But the, patience is required in the believer's life. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, if you go there just a few pages back, Hebrews 12 verse 1, there's a couple words found closely together that don't make sense on the face. He says, Wherefore, seeing we, are, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run, now here it is, with patience, the race. What? It's a race. I've never heard an NASCAR coach telling the driver, you know what, just let them go. Just, you know, be patient. I'm, I'm sure there's a strategy involved in there somewhere, but, somewhere. but you, know, you know the analogy here. It's, it's uh, not a sprint, it's a marathon. You've heard that before? Yeah. It's true, though. Yeah. It's true. In the book of Isaiah, we're talked about, you know, they that wait upon the Lord mount up with wings as eagles, right? But it continues, right? It talks about walking and not fainting, too. Right. Amen? We're not always going to soar with the eagles in our Christian life. Most of our Christian life is the daily walk. And, and there is a need to be patient. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Why? For in due season we shall reap if we what? If we faint not. So there's a, the idea here is, uh, uh, patience, endurance, dealing with the, the, the problems and the, the uh, difficulties of life. And not just with your own life. This, I, I know that this probably doesn't happen here at this church. It doesn't happen in our church either. But there may come a time when you're going to have to be patient, not just with things in your own life, but you're going to have to be patient with other people too. I know that may come as a shock to you, but it's part of reality. God says, we're going to look at this later in the week if the Lord allows but we have to forbear one another, right? Which is a really eloquent way of saying you're going to have to put up with them, right? Like you're just going to have to do it. Patience with ourselves, patience with others. You're going to have to understand that the Christian life is the rest of your life. Amen. Your Christian life is the rest of your life. Amen. So allow patience in your life. James speaks about how this can happen and uh, about faith working and all of that. And I'd encourage you to live by faith and walk by faith, and this helps produce patience. But for time's sake, we're going to move on quickly. And then you add to your patience, godliness. Godliness is just simply God-likeness. This has to do with our outward and our visible testimony. Um, you, you may, if, if I use this illustration, you might be thinking of people in your mind where children resemble their parents. You've seen this, right? Wow, he looks just like his dad. Well, she reminds me so much of her mom. You can tell they're a child of that parent. Well, beloved, it's not an accident. God calls us his children. And his children are to resemble him. It shouldn't be a surprise when you find out that so-and-so is a, a child of God. It'd be like, oh, that makes sense. They, they resemble that. So you, you're well taught. You understand that. Our testimony matters. We ought to look like children of God. The Bible says that we are not to be conformed to this world. The Bible says that we're not to love the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why is that such an important thing? Because it speaks of the nature. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The nature that's working in him is not there. And so there's going to be a love for the world. And as I said before, the nature of something will always be revealed over time. And we want in our lives God-likeness. We want godliness. Add to, add to our godliness brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is simply the willingness to esteem others better than ourselves. If you would take your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12. 
there's an important uh, principle here seen. Romans 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Twice in this verse, you have one another. Be kindly affectioned one to another, and then at the end, preferring one another. It is impossible for you to add to your patience, uh, uh, excuse me, it's, it's impossible for you to add to your godliness, brotherly kindness. It's impossible to add brotherly kindness if you don't have relation with other people. The only way that this gets added to your life is with relation. And God didn't design family by accident, but he, did also, he also did not design the assembly by accident either. And are we to do good to all men? We're salt and light. Let us do good to all men, but especially they that are the household of faith. And so this is part of your Christian life, is brotherly kindness, preferring one another. And like I said, this, this, this is found in relationship. There are going to be people around you where this is seen. And then we add to our brotherly kindness, charity. And I, again, you're well taught. You know this word is agape. This is a God-like love. And I like the word in the King James Bible. Charity. We still use that word today. Do you know why? Because charity is when you give something without any expectation of getting something back. You're doing it for the sole benefit of the other person. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit, records this, that of faith, hope, and charity, the greatest of these is charity. Say, well, faith is important. You, you, we have to, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if you want to please God, which I believe that you do, that means at some point in your life you're going to have to live by faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And hope, I mean, Paul talks about hope a lot. But the greatest of these is charity. Well, I believe one of the reasons it's greatest is because faith is not eternal. And praise the Lord for that. One day our faith will be sight. I won't need faith anymore. Same with my hope. My hope is going to be realized one day. But my love, that's a different story. Love is eternal. You read the book of the Revelation and you hear the kind of songs we sing, the things that we say to our Lord, that can only flow out of a heart of love. Realizing what he has done for us, the wound still in his body, reminding us why we're there. No, love is eternal. Love is forever. This, this kind of love, God-like love that gives uh, any expectation of getting something back. It is solely for the benefit of the other person. The Bible says, in context of a divine nature, you have to add these things to your life. You as a believer have to make every effort to add to your faith virtue. And then, as I said earlier, when it's back in our text, that moved by the Holy Ghost, Peter says... That if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't be Christ-like and not have these things in you. It just can't happen. And so, a couple years ago, maybe less than that, when I was working through this text, so the messages this week, Monday through Friday, it's a brand new series, and I prepared it. And By the way, it's been quite enjoyable preparing it, so I'm grateful for this conference for that sake, even. But this text, I preached through before about a year and a half ago, I think it was. And pastors like illustrations, right? Preachers like illustrations. But the best illustrations come from the Bible, I think. And so that's just a personal opinion. You don't have to agree with me, all right? But it is the Bible, after all. So, I mean... But... So, you know what, I want to look about, about finding things that are fruitful. Like, let, let's find an example of fruitfulness and, and the blessing of it and contrast it with being unfruitful, right? Because it says that we don't want to be barren nor unfruitful. So I want to contrast unfruitful. I want to show fruitfulness. And when I tell you, I love the Scriptures. Because when I found, and, and I'm not, the, I'm, I promise you, I'm not the first one that's ever seen this. I'm not suggesting that in any way. I'm sure many people have seen it before. But I hadn't up to that point, and it just blessed my heart. And I hope it blesses yours too, because one of the first times you find the idea of being fruitful is when Jacob is blessing Joseph. So if you take your Bible, turn back with me to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. And 
we're going to kind of turn the fourth corner here and head down the straightaway. And we'll be done here. This is my first in closing. All right, that's what, if I could say it that way. All right, Genesis chapter 49. Jacob is calling his sons together. He's gathering them and he's uh, giving them his, his blessing. He's, he's calling it like it is. He mentions about Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, the excellency of power, unstable as water. I mean, he's, he, he doesn't, you know, sugarcoat anything. We don't have time to go through all the brothers. I want you to go to verse 22 because he talks about Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough. Even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. It wasn't always easy for him. But his bow abode in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd the stone of Israel. Joseph is a fruitful bough. Now, look at the imagery here. He's, a, he's got his taproot right by the well. Why would that matter? Well, because it's sourced right in the water. And then he talks about he's growing over the wall. What does that give you the idea of? Just it continues to grow. The wall can't even hold it back. It grows up against the wall, over the wall. You kind of get the picture that Joseph isn't just fruitful. He's not only not barren. He's not only not unfruitful. He's very fruitful. I mean, he, he is just this example of fruitfulness galore. And then, this, this is amazing, at least to me. I still can't get over this. You start thinking about how we're introduced to Joseph and the chronology of Joseph's life. So go back with me to Genesis chapter 37. I believe Joseph knew the Lord. He was taught of the Lord. He's taught by his father. And so I believe we could say Joseph had faith. But Peter says we're to add to our faith virtue. And in Genesis chapter 37, verse 2, the Bible tells us these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. Now that tells us something, teenagers, that it's good for young men to work. Amen? 17, he's not too young to get a job. He's not too young to have responsibility. My dad told us this years ago. He said that God created responsibility in the perfect environment. In the Garden of Eden, God gave man responsibility. Now the sweat and the toil came after the fall, but responsibility is a good thing. And, in, and I'm not that old. I'm only 44 years old. But in, in my life, I've observed, and even right now, the, the young men in their 20s who take responsibility are often the same ones who were teenagers that were given responsibility. And so it's a good thing to do that. I'd encourage you parents to remember that. Joseph here is 17. He's working. But notice what it says. He's feeding the flock with his brethren. The lad was with the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilphah. And his father's wives. Now look at the last part. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Say, well, Joseph was a tattletale. No, that's not what this is teaching us. Why would the Holy Spirit want Moses to record this? I mean, why? Well, I believe it tells us something about Joseph. I believe Joseph believed that we ought to live the same way out here that we live at home. And dad, we're out here and... My brother, now we don't know the, what, what the evil report was uh, filled with, but we do know this, that Joseph saw behavior in his brother's lives that didn't match up with how he knew they were raised. And so he went back and he told his dad, hey, this is going on. And that, that's not wrong. That's good. But do you know why I believe he did it? I believe it was because Joseph had a moral excellence about him. That when he wasn't at home, he was still what he should be. And so we see virtue. I believe we see virtue in Joseph's life. He was one to take a stand, even against his brothers, because right is right and wrong isn't right. And so he told his dad. But then what does he do? He adds to his virtue. Same chapter, verse 37. Knowledge. Verse 5. Joseph dreamed a dream. Where do you suppose that dream came from? You think it was a coincidence it lined up with what Joseph's life was about? Of course not. He dreamed a dream in verse 9 too. You know the story. The sheaves bowed down. And then the, the celestial bodies bow down. And the brothers are upset by this. But do you know Joseph believed so much in what he received from the Lord that he, after he was corrected by his brothers the first time, he told them about it the second time. Even his dad, who loved the boy, 
said, Jonas, we need to relax a little bit here, right? I mean, I mean, come on. You, you really, you're really saying we're going to bow down to you? But Joseph acted on it. And I'm, I don't think I'm stretching too much to say that God added to Joseph's virtue knowledge. God gave him information about his life and the direction of his life. And Joseph talked about it. He spoke about it. And th- so, and, and by the way, it goes back to where knowledge comes from, amen? Knowledge comes from God. And Joseph didn't have a bad pizza and dream this, right? God gave him these dreams. So he gets the knowledge from God. But then he adds to his knowledge patience. We'll go to, uh, excuse me, temperance. Go to chapter 38, please. Chapter 38. Uh, I'm sorry, 39. You know the story. Joseph is in Potiphar's house. He's advanced because of his moral excellence, I believe. He's advanced in Potiphar's house. You know the story. Potiphar's wife uh, desires to sleep with him. Verse 7, it came to pass after these things, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. She said, lie with me. Look at verse 8, young men. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wadeth not what is with me in the house. He hath committed all that he hath to my hand. He must have been responsible. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? God. Listen. He's on his own. His brothers abandoned him. He's in Egypt. Nobody knows where he is. If he wanted to do what he wanted to do, he could. And nobody would have known about it. But God would. And that mattered to Joseph. And because of that, he shows some self-control. He shows temperance. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give in to this. Just because my environment changed, listen, just because my environment changed doesn't mean I have to change. So he kept his morality. He kept his virtue. He kept that moral excellence. And that's why in verse 12, he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. I'm out of here. So he shows temperance. But he adds to his temperance, patience. <laughs> he's put in prison. You know the story, he intro- he's introduced to the butler and the baker. And uh, went well for the butler, not so good for the baker. You're familiar with the story. And Joseph, all, he's, all the poor guy asked for was just remember me when you get out. Right? If you could just put a good word in for me. Now look at the verse 1 of chapter 41. And it came to pass at the end of two full Years. Isn't that interesting? I understand that better living in North Dakota. When January comes around, and we have 31 full days of January. It feels like January 57th sometimes. It's like the the, the winter seems to last long. The summers are beautiful, I, I will say that, but... It came to pass at the end of, this isn't just like, you know, in two years. No, it was two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. And behold, they stood by the river. And you know the story. Then verse 9, then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Oh, that's right. There's a guy in, in prison that I met who interpreted my dream. Now, listen, by the time Pharaoh pulls Joseph out of prison, is he bitter? Is he jaded? Is he mad at God? No. Why? Because he endured the hardness. He showed patience. Now, by this time, you're probably like I am going, this is amazing. Like, he added to his faith virtue and virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience. And then look what Pharaoh says about Joseph in verse 37 of chapter 41. The thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? I can't think of a better verse to describe godliness than that. Yeah. Wow, the, there's something different about him. Now, this is a Pharaoh that's in the middle of a bunch of little g-gods, a lot of, a lot of false gods. But he says about, about Joseph, the Spirit of God is on this man. Joseph wasn't just all about himself. He, he gives God the glory, apparently. Pharaoh knows about this, and so he adds godliness. And then, you know the story. We're not going to read all the text, but he adds 
brotherly kindness, literally. Amen. The brothers come. You know the story. Joseph, a beautiful picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. The very ones that uh, rejected him, he's in the position of power on the right hand of Pharaoh, and he's the very one that provided them provision. And uh, he offers brotherly kindness. But he adds to the brotherly kindness charity because if you look with me at chapter 50, the brothers are scared because Jacob's uh, dead now. And now they're thinking, well, now Joseph's really going to take vengeance on us. Verse 18 of Genesis 50, His brethren also went and fell down before his face. They said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am in the excuse me, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Beloved, I just was just man. That's that's beautiful. He, he lives out all of these attributes Peter talks about 2,000 years before Peter wrote it and is exactly what Peter said. He's not barren, and Jacob said he's fruitful. But then it hit me. Well, of course it makes sense. It's God. <laughs> this has less to do with Peter and Joseph right. as it does with principles of God, from God. Right. If you live this way, this is how it will happen. And the, the good news is, is that while there were 2,000 separated 2,000 years that separated Joseph and Peter, there's 2,000 years that separate Peter and us. And so we have reason to believe the precedent still stands, amen? That we, that we can do this. You say, well, how can I add virtue to my life? You can do what Joseph did, and you can choose to make right decisions. You can choose to speak up for right and speak against wrong. Well, how do you add knowledge? You're not going to have to dream dreams. You don't need to anymore. You have this. You have a direct word from God. So well, how, how do I add to my knowledge? Temperance. This is where it gets really good. We're talking about a divine nature, remember? What is right smack in the middle of the fruit of the Spirit? Temperance. Temperance. And then patience. You do that by how you endure things. And, and, and godliness, brotherly kindness, these are all things that you can do. Joseph did them, and so can you. In closing, I want us to go back to our text, because I want us to see the benefit of, of having these things in our life, that, that we can be fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, because we're supposed to be like him. We can have good testimonies to those that are without, we can produce spiritual fruit in our lives. This is more than just seeing people saved. It's the, 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 the character we have, the, the life that we live. But I want to land on this, this phrase in verse 4, and we'll be done. That we have given unto us, beloved, not just promises. Although that would be enough coming from God, wouldn't it? If God said, I promise, would that be enough for you? But we have not just promises, we have precious promises. Precious. The, the, high value. But not just precious. We have great and precious. But not just great, exceeding great and precious promises. You get the idea that we're blessed? You get, you get the idea that, that we have been given enough from God? That we, we probably are just making too many excuses if we're not lining up with this, that we have been given from God exceeding great and precious promises and that by these we might be, and here it is, partakers of the divine nature. You've already escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You're saved and praise God for it. But now, we're going to walk through each day, this, each night this week, if the Lord allows, what it means to be a partaker of not just your pastor's personality, but of the nature of God. Wow. Wow. And so the first two nights are going to start with us as individuals. We're going to look at, be ye holy. What does God say? 
as I am holy. That's a divine nature. He points to himself and then gives you a command and me a command. You be holy as I am holy. On Tuesday night, we're going to see that God is faithful. And so should his children be. You want to be a partaker of the divine nature? Then study God's attributes. And you realize that God is holy and I'm going to be holy. And God is faithful and I'm going to be faithful. But then it spreads corporately. It spreads to the church. On Wednesday, we're going to see, again, if the Lord allows, in John 17, Jesus prays to the Father, speaking of their relationship, and he says he desires you to be one, even as he and the Father are one. You know what we call that? Divine nature. You see, the Godhead is in unity, and so should his church be. And on Thursday, we're going to see the importance of the attribute of being long-suffering. In Exodus chapter 34, God proclaims himself. He is merciful, he is gracious, and he is long-suffering. And so should his church be. And then Friday, we're going to see the attribute, the divine nature of love. And how this church could show that it is a partaker of the divine nature of love. The, the same way God declared his love. You see, love is more than a declaration. Love is a, a display. And what did he do? He sent his son. And I believe that a church shows that it is a partaker of love, the divine nature of love. Not just worldly love. Anybody can love if you get something back, right? We're talking about, we're talking about agape love. And you can't do that any better way than preaching the gospel, evangelizing. And so that'll be the charge on Friday. So that's where we're headed this week. And I wanted you to see just quick. I know we went through a lot and I went over, over my time. But I wanted you to see out of 2 Peter chapter 1, the absolute benefit that comes from applying these truths. I want you as an Christ, individual Christian, I want you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. I want you to be fruitful. And I desire for this church the same thing I desire for Harvest Baptist and Laramore. That we be a fruitful church. Amen. That we show forth in, in, in all the chaos going out there. That we show forth as a place where God is real. And I believe if we can grasp hold of these truths. And we really take hold of the privilege it is. That we can partake of a divine nature. I don't mean this to be cliche. It has nothing to do with the guest speaker. I promise you that. But I believe if we take hold of it, it will change your Christian life. It will change your life.